Welcome to the Fullness Church Weekly Podcast. At Fullness, we value the Bible and believe it is critical to teach it clearly, remaining true to its central focus of hearing and living the transforming news about Jesus. Our hope is this teaching will do just that. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, um, pull one up on your phone. I know you got them there. Or reach in the seat back in front of you and grab a Bible. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. I want to read this. Um, it's, it's a little more extended passage, but I want to read it in its entirety, so you get the flow of things. Remember, Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and the Lord, and is encouraging him. Um, this is a letter that's written probably toward the end of Paul's life. We're not, we're not totally sure. Tradition has different ideas about what happens to Paul. He is in prison when he's writing this. In some ideas, this is, we know, we, we pretty well have common agreement. This is his last letter that he ever writes. And the debate is, did he die in prison or does he get out of prison and go to Spain and some other places and then come back and get arrested again and then is killed? We're not sure. Tradition holds in different ways, but nonetheless, this is his final letter. He's writing to Timothy. We're going to look at this passage uh, today, and, you know, some days uh, I, I just love taking apart the Word of God. Uh, we're a church that is based on uh, 100% of the Spirit of God, 100% of the Word of God, and there's some days when you look at a passage and you'll hear some very familiar phrasing in this if you've been in church very long, and I, I want to look at it because I think of the passages that I know this passage may speak more to us today than almost any because of the last times references and because of the brokenness of the world in which we live. This is a long lead-in for you to listen to this passage. Uh, listen to what Paul says, chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and, the on, and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among this are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles of not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. 
flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Lord, I pray as we look at this passage this morning that you would help us, speak to us, guide us, direct us. Jesus, we acknowledge right now that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, may the good news of the gospel permeate us to every fiber of our being. May we stand for truth in a broken time, unashamed, loving, but firm on the foundation the rock that is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of God, open our hearts and eyes to walk in truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we acknowledge we live in a broken time? Can we just, you know, be honest and say that we live in the middle of brokenness and a lot of times that brokenness, like a glass that's been shattered, that comes our way, the shards of glass get in us. And if we're not careful, they become infected. We become infected. So much so that at times we have trouble distinguishing the truth from a lie. That sometimes we buy into the brokenness of the world as a, as a way of thinking. Instead, I want to hold out to you this this morning. We can know the truth, and the truth can set us free. And we can walk in truth, 
And we can do it in a way that ministers life to a world that's broken around us. So I want to encourage you today that we're going to talk about this truth because that's really what Paul is aiming for to Timothy. Remember, Timothy is a young pastor somewhere in his 30s leading what was the most prominent church in Asia Minor, which is known as Turkey today. And he's struggling. He's got a lot of battles. It's a broken city. The church in some ways is broken and divided and, and, and troubled. And Paul is writing to encourage Timothy in his faith in the Lord to stand for truth. So let's look at these points. The first thing is this. Remember the truth. Remember the truth. Sometimes we need just to take a moment and remember. What is the truth? We get so caught up in the battles of the moment that sometimes in the battle, in the fight, we forget what we're fighting for. And we need to remember. Paul says to Timothy, and I'm going to take this passage apart in various ways, but it's all about the truth. Standing for the truth, remembering the truth, protecting the truth, living the truth. But first, I think, in order to do the latter, to protect and to live, we need to remind ourselves of what the truth is. He says, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God, one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly does what? Handles the word of truth, the word of truth, God's truth, the gospel. Remember, remind yourself of what the truth is. My mentor, Jack Taylor, uh, who's gone on to be with the Lord, uh, used to say this. God, I pray that everywhere my mind disagrees with your mind, you would change my mind. And in that, he taught us that the truth is the truth. Everything that stands against the word of God is not truth. Now, this is, a hard, this is hard for us today because there are certain things in here that are hard. They're difficult to live out. But we need to remember what the truth is. We need to keep coming back to the truth. Now, Paul, in one sense, is... Is not talking just about the Bible. He will, he is, but he's not talking just, he's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is. Because in the context that he's writing, there are those who are, who are coming out at all different levels. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But one of the levels is that Jesus wasn't fully God. One of them, he's got all sorts of heresies that are coming against the, the church. And he's saying to, to Timothy, keep reminding people about the truth. Hold out the truth in front of you. It, see, his contention is this. Without the truth, there is no foundation. Right? Without the truth, there is no foundation. At the end of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus closes out by saying, the wise man builds his house upon what? The rock. The rock. And then he goes on and says what the rock is. 
The, the wise man is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. In other words, receives the truth and lives the truth. And that is the only foundation upon which we stand. The foundation of Jesus, the truth, the word, made flesh. We, we, you, and we've got to keep reminding ourselves. Why? Because the world is reminding us or presenting on a platter a different message all the time. And if you live outside of these four walls, you're going to get a different message. Somewhere, at some point, if you read anything, you look at anything, you see anything, you walk around the world, you're going to get a different message than this one. And so to stay in the truth, we got to keep reminding ourselves of the truth. He's going to say, he goes on and says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. We're going to come back to this. You're going to see this theme a lot in this passage. Paul's basis, basic idea is this. Stand, remind yourself of the truth. Stop arguing about non-truth. Stop quarreling about words. He's going to say it's, going to, it's not going to do you any good. It's of no value. But what is valuable is reminding yourself of the truth and standing for the truth. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, probably five times in this passage, to say quit arguing. That's not the way you're going to win people anyway. He's going to give us that. Then he goes into this very, um, I like the way he says, it's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Wait a minute. It's my, my discussing, my quarreling with them is ruining them. Well, that's what Paul says. In other words, when you quarrel, you ruin. When you love, you give life. It's a basic truth of God's kingdom. Um, and we'll come back to that. He goes on and says, do your best to what? Present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, obviously, if I didn't think I was presenting you the truth, I wouldn't present it. I mean, maybe not so obvious, but that's my contention. We want to be a people who correctly handle the word of truth. And by the way, the picture here of correctly handling the word of truth is, is, is like one who cuts in a straight line. There is a, a line. I was uh, in, in Africa recently with uh, Nate, and he came back and he was telling us about this surgeon that he's training who couldn't cut in a straight line. It was just, I'm like, oh, that's, I don't want to be with that guy. So much so that he had to take the scalpel back from him and correct what he had done. Um, I, I know that makes you squeamish, and I understand, uh, but that, that's the picture of this. You're, that's, how val- that's how much it matters. You, you get a little squeamish when we talk about surgery, thinking, oh, I don't want anyone cutting on my, my body who can't cut in a straight line. How much more so are those who incorrectly handle the word of God? They are doing damage to the body of Christ and to you personally. He's saying to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God 
as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who uh, correctly handles the word of truth. That's our goal. Now, look, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't get it 100% right. I try. I'm doing my best. I can guarantee you this. Me, Scott, Gabe, anyone who comes up on stage here has worked hard to correctly handle the word of truth. We, we none of us, want to get up here and say, you know what, I just kind of, I'm just kind of dialing, I'm just kind of throwing it out there this week. I, I'm just, you know, phoning it in, so to speak. No, no, we, we've labored in order to correctly handle the word of truth. We want that guarantee here that this is what we do because it reminds us of what the truth is. My encouragement to you is this, remember the truth. Take yourself back to the truth. Second point is this, protect the truth. This is where I'm going to spend most of our time today because that's really what Paul is saying to Timothy. Protect the truth. If he's saying protect the truth, what is the implication here? That the truth can be damaged. That the truth can be diluted. And whenever we do, it damages the body of Christ and it damages the kingdom of the expansion of God's kingdom in the world around us. Here's how he says to do this. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. What is, what is proclaiming something that's kind of got some truth in it, but is mixed with error. It's like gangrene. It, it is, it's going to damage the body. You know, when someone gets gangrene, what do they have to do to that part of the body? They have to remove it. They have to cut. That's how damaging it is. And he's saying this is going to spread like that. It will kill the body if it's not removed. And he names two guys who are in the church in the city of Ephesus, who have probably split off from the church, and we're going to come back to these two dudes in just a moment about what they're doing. But one of the things they're saying is that the resurrection of the dead has already taken place. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this at surface level, I think, well, that's pretty obvious that it's not true. Otherwise, I would have seen the dead walking around, right? The resurrection of the dead. They're not teaching it. Listen to me carefully. I'm going to tread dangerous ground here in the sense of it could offend, but hopefully not. What they're claiming is that spiritually you've already been resurrected from the dead. In other words, the resurrection of the dead, when it happens, there are a lot of promises about what God's going to do. No more sickness. No more death. Um, your prosperity will increase. You, you, you. They're saying that is yours now. The resurrection of the dead spiritually has happened now. See, we think the prosperity doctrine as we know it is something new. And I think Paul is saying it's not new. It's been around for 2,000 years. People have been claiming that everything promised in the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead is already yours now. 
And Paul is saying, I think he's clearly saying in this entire passage that this is doing harm to the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's like, a, he says it's like gangrene. Now, you may disagree with my interpretation of this, but in, in, in no way does, is the resurrection of the dead already occurring, helping the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, I think it does harm to what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians about Jesus coming back and the dead being raised, the physical return of Christ, the physical resurrection, all that's going to happen in the end time. But I also think he's saying in a spiritual sense, when you think you've received everything now, and it does, what happens, for instance, if the promise is this, God wants to heal every single person now. Because that's what he promises in the end time. And now you pray for a child who is sick, who now doesn't get well and dies. What does that person, what happens to their faith at that moment? What happens to them? It's damage. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for the sick or we shouldn't be praying for the, the healing of a loved one, but we need to recognize, I think this is critical that we live in this tension of between the times. We've got more than we think, but we haven't got all of it. And no matter what, it hasn't all come our way now. Because if you live in that way, we see people whose faith has been shipwrecked because people have told them everything is yours now. And then when it doesn't come, they have, they have nothing to stand on. Their foundation has been removed because they were standing on something wrong. He goes on and says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Notice these are in quotes. They're, he, they're coming from somewhere else. Now, Timothy knows where they're coming from, but we, when we read this, we don't always know what the reference is. You have to study it a little bit. This is that part of that study to show yourself approved, a workman who needs time. So what he's referring to is this. There's a story in the Old Testament where some people come against Moses, led by a person named Korah. And they come and they try to usurp Moses' authority and his power. And without going into all the details of the story, Moses is it's very humble and, and hurt. And God says, don't worry about it. I got gotcha. you. That's my interpretation of I got gotcha. you. And he says, tell all the people to gather tomorrow. You and all those who support you, you stand on one side. All those who support Korah stand on the other side. So Moses said, okay, well, this is what I'm following God's command. Everybody who's with me stand here. Everybody with Korah. And it's in this that it's proclaimed, the Lord knows who those who are his. Do you know what happens in the story? The earth opens up and swallows those who are not his. Moses and his contingent, those who are with him, stand firm. Followers of Korah are swallowed up in the earth. Paul is using this to say, 
God knows. God knows those who are his. But Timothy, here's what you're to do. You're, you are to protect the truth. Hold on to it. Don't let these guys overtake you. And then he goes on and says, there's so many analogies and pictures in this passage that are beautiful. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, or some are for inno, ig, ig, ignoble, ignoble. What is the word? I can't say it. Ignoble. Don't worry about it. Here's the idea. It's not of what it's made of, gold, silver, wood, or clay. It's how it's been sanctified, how it's been set aside. He says, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, the things not for noble purposes. Notice how I just ignored that word. Um, not for noble purposes. He will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It, it, is, not, it is not the instrument itself what it's made of it's how it's been set aside and set apart and Paul is saying protect yourself because you've been set aside for a noble purpose by protecting the truth not that you're holy in the sense of like what we think of holiness like no no can't do any wrong but it's more like you're holy you've been set apart for a purpose, and God has this purpose for you, and don't let something rob you of that. Instead, protect the truth. Protect how God has prepared you. Then he goes on, says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. You know this passage. You've read this passage. What does he mean by the last days? Well, in Paul's theology, everything between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ is called the last days. We live in the last days. So when people say to you, we live in the last days, yes, we do. And so has all, so have all followers of Jesus Christ since Jesus ascended and until he returns. But what happens is there's kind of a spectrum where on, as time goes on, the last days become more and more evil. And he says, this is what's going to happen. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, having nothing, nothing to do with them. This list of 19 items that Paul goes through. I, I don't have time to preach on the whole list, but I do want to highlight that. I just want to point it out to you. And for you to reflect on the day in which we live. And see if this doesn't accurately describe the broken world in which we live. Lovers of themselves. By the way, you may say, well, isn't it okay to self-love? We're not talking about a healthy self-love here. We're talking about an exaltation of the self, where it's all about you. By the way, if you really delve into this, and I'll try not to preach on every one of them because we will be here all day, 
But it's important to understand that this is just a form of idolatry. It's saying, I am God. I am a perfect whatever I am. I am the center of the universe. By loving myself to this extent. And is, again, do you not see that around us? That we live in a society that it's all about the self. Self-identity. Self-gratification. Self-exaltation. It's all about me. And all this is for me. Kind of the idea that I am the center of things. Lovers of money. Just outright greed. Greed is good. Anybody know that reference? Uh, it's an old movie called Wall Street. Greed is good. We live in this age where we become boastful. We, we, it doesn't even have to be true. Just if I just say it enough times, it, it makes people think that it is true. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I just finished a biography on Elon Musk. Um, and the same author wrote a biography of Steve Jobs. And I've read some other biographies of um, leading men in our society. So here's the idea. Sorry, am I offending you? <laughs> One thing characterized them one, they're boastful. They believe in exalting themselves. They're not humble. They're not. And one of the things they try to do is say things enough times and convince people around them that this is true. Steve Jobs had this whole belief that he could change the very dynamic of the physical universe if he just believed it hard enough. By the way, he died of pancreatic cancer because he refused to get treatment because he said, if I just claim it, not based on any faith, but just my own boasting, it can change things. We, we, we don't live that far from that. Proud. Again, this internal attitude that just describes, I can't be wrong. It's impossible for me to be wrong. I am proud, abusive, taking advantage of others, just running over others. If It doesn't matter if they're true or uh, if they're good people. If they're in my way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to... Look, I, I really want to pause here just for a second and say, I, I, I'm, having, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with leadership politically. I'm struggling with leadership in the business world. I'm struggling with leadership in the church. Because many of these characteristics define key leaders all around us. And, for, and if we're not careful, the damage that we're doing on all sectors, it, it, it's killing us. I would love to say, hey, at least within the church, what we don't have is men who are leading churches who are 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, and abusive. And yet, weekly, I'm witnessing leaders falling for these very reasons. Not to even mention the political arena or business. Paul's telling us this is going to be the tendency in the last times. Protect the truth. He goes on and says, disobedient to their parents. <laughs> I don't know about you. This, this doesn't seem right on this list. I mean, it doesn't seem at the same level. I mean, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. Those are bad. Disobedient to parents? Paul puts it at the same level. High school students, you can take that for what it's worth right now. <clears throat> Goes on and says, ungrateful. We, people, we live in an ungrateful society. We, we are a society of ingrates. I mean, we don't say, we, we no longer stand as a society saying, wow, thank you, God, for this country. Thank you for my job. Thank you for where I am. Thank you for my health. Thank you for this church. Instead, we generally, not us, um, but the world, stands in a place that never says thank you for what it has, but continually whines about what it doesn't have. Continually. That's our, that's our disposition. We are ungrateful. Ultimately, unholy. Meaning that we are no longer those instruments that have been set apart for noble purposes, but we've been set, we, we live lives of self-gratification without love. Either internal or external. Unforgiving. Uh, again, you know, it's almost like I either have to preach a sermon on it or just move on on each one of these, right? But... We not only are unforgiving, we feel like we stand right in our unforgiveness. We hold things against people, people groups, whatever the case may be. Slanderous. We no longer even speak the truth, but instead, if it tears your, if, if, if your balloon's a little higher than mine, I'm going to poke holes in your balloon, whether it be true or not, in order to lower your balloon so that my balloon stands higher. And we don't care if we're speaking the truth. And again, I say we. I'm talking about generally in the last days. You can examine yourself in all of this without self-control. We're brutal. He, this is the idea of animalistic, beastly. Again, it doesn't take us far to look and see where these are being played out. Ultimately, not lovers of the good. We love the darkness more than we love the light. We're treacherous. We will turn against even those who are closest to us in order to achieve our own ends. We're rash. We don't think about it. It's just now. Ultimately conceited. Exaltation of self because 
Ultimately, we're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, I know this, this phrase has been thrown around since I was little of the society we live in, but has not pleasure become the God of our age? At every level, I want pleasure. Again, I, I'll talk about, I, I'll go home, watch some football today, see the commercials. Every single one of them is about pleasure. My pleasure in some way. Achieving. And it's, if we're not careful, this, this shard of broken glass will get in our lives and affect us. Infect us. Ultimately, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, you may be saying, yes, I see these things. I want to protect it. Think back to who Paul is referring to when he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus, talking about their proclaiming this resurrection of the dead. In other words, they're, they're, they're trying to project this form of godliness that all the stuff in the end time is now yours, and he's saying that is not godliness. It's a form. It seems like you're seizing the power of God, but in actuality what you're doing is denying its power to live its way out through you in the person of the Holy Spirit now. Listen to me say that again. When you claim something from the coming age as yours now, in a sense what you're doing is, is saying that thing in the future that God has promised me, it's mine now. You think you're claiming something more powerful, but instead what I think you're doing is you're trading the power of the Spirit who indwells you and fills you, directs your life and saying, I, really, I don't need him because I've been spiritually renewed. Everything that's mine in the future is mine now. Instead of receiving the power of God as he has it for you now. Does that make some form of sense to you? It's important. This is why we, we want to hold firmly to 100% of the Word of God, 100% of the Spirit of God, because in doing so, we claim, I have everything I need for life and godliness. How? Through the person of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, I have everything I need. Have nothing to do with them. He goes on, down in verse 6 of chapter 3, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Now, I'm treading on thin ice here. Does not weak-willed women make it seem like Paul is misogynistic? Oh, those weak-willed women... Now, here's what I, this is, I would like to say in the Greek it means something much softer, but it doesn't. It, it basically, with all apologies to all of you romantic novelists, it means little women. Um, and, and the idea is not all women, but there was evidently a group in Ephesus of wealthy women who were just they had nothing to do but time. And so they're reaching out for all of this stuff. They've got sin in their lives that they don't want to give up. And some of these teachers have come in and they've swayed them. They've deceived them. 
But they're very influential. They're coming into the church and trying to take over. Gordon Fee feels like this passage is the key to the passage that Gabriel preached a month ago. That what has happened when he says, wasn't Eve the one deceived? He's saying there are some women who have been deceived who are trying to take over the church. And this is his explanation to Timothy to to protect the truth. I was 34 when we started Fullness. This is the thin ice I'm on right now. I'm just going to say it straight out. I was 34 when I started the church. The most intimidating people to me in my 30s when I started the church were some strong-willed women who, in hindsight... I knew were wrong, and yet it was hard to stand up to them. As a male, as a young leader, it was very difficult for me to stand in the... And I think that's what Paul... Are some of you offended by this? I'm just telling you my life. I'm not saying God used some... But praise God, I didn't do this alone. There were others in our lives, elders, uh, spiritual leaders, who were able to say, this isn't right. So that we were able to stand as a team together to proclaim the truth. And I want to say, in love. Not in ugliness, but in love. And Paul is writing to a young, timid pastor who's probably in his first pastorate in a very influential church. Now he's got some really wealthy women who have been deceived coming into the church, trying to take over, and he's trying to encourage Timothy to stand firm for the truth. Don't, I pray that you don't hear me being misogynistic in any way, but saying all of us, male and female, are prone to follow after deception. By the way, all the other influences that Paul is talking about here are male. All the other stuff, he's, he's, not, he's an equal opportunity stand for the truth, men and women. So it's not like he's just approaching one group. Because just in the next passage, he says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to you. Okay, go to your Old Testaments and find Janus and Jambres. I'll give you a minute. Just kidding. You won't find them, by the way, because they're not in the Old Testament. They're listed in the Torah and some other apocryphal works. Janus and Jambres are the names given to the magicians who stood against Moses and Aaron in the courts of Pharaoh. That's the names that they're given. So when you look up uh, Janus and Jambres, you won't find them in the Old Testament, but you will find them. They're known traditionally. Paul, who's trained in a, in a very Jewish society, would know their names. Now, do you remember what happened in that setting? Aaron threw down the rod. Moses threw down the rod. It became a snake. Well, they, these magicians did the same thing. What he's saying is this, there are people who are depraved that imitate the works of God, but they're not the works of God. 
We, at times, do we not? If we're not careful, say, well, I know he's not saying the truth, but look, he did this miracle. That must make him legit. I think Paul is saying the very opposite. He's saying, these guys may be doing some what appears miraculous things, but it's an imitation of the enemy. With the intent to oppose the truth, the depraved mind is this one that leads people astray. They're, they're, they, th- they even think they're doing the right thing, and they're not, because they're not standing on the truth. What is this truth he keeps talking about? It is the gospel. Any, this is why we need to proclaim the truth on a continual basis, so that we know the truth, so that anything that comes that doesn't, isn't the truth, we'll be able to identify it as non-truth. Their folly will be clear to everyone. When? Well, eventually. He said, he said, not saying it will be clear right at the moment, but eventually. If you'll stand on their truth, the folly will be clear to everyone. So, oh my goodness. Um, sorry, I've been going. Is it, I hope you're fine with uh, what. Let me finish up. That doesn't really mean what you think it means. Uh, third point is this live the truth it's not only remember the truth and protect it but you've got to live it out every moment of every day so do I going back into chapter 2 how do we how do we live this truth out he says flee the evil desires of youth pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of pure heart Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. How are you going to live out the truth? I'm going to beat them over the head with the truth. I'm going to take them down. I'm going to post on YouTube, Facebook, social media, claiming that these hip heretics are heretics. Here's what Paul says. Here's how you live the truth. Flee the evil desires of youth. I'm out of time, so I'm not going to. I'm amazed more and more how the older we get, the more we're drawn into the evil desires of youth rather than fleeing it. I'm wounded by it. That we're not getting further from it, but sometimes we're actually excusing it. Without giving specific examples, it doesn't matter. The evil desires of pride, greed, sexual satisfaction, you can just go down the list. The evil desires of youth, rather than fleeing them, we're excusing them and walking in them. If you want to live out the truth, he says, flee the evil desires of youth. And instead, pursue this. Get rid of that. Don't go after it. Instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And just avoid stupid arguments. This should be a test. This should be, you should write this down. Avoid a stupid argument. Now, don't turn to your wife or your husband and see that as I was trying. When I shut down yesterday, I was just trying to avoid a stupid argument. No, no. He's talking about these spiritual things. Like it could be, but that's not really what he's referring to here. He's talking about the arguments of 
just where someone is so convinced they're right on a spiritual matter and they're so wrong, it's not going to do you any good. Avoid it. And then he goes on and says this, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, do what? Oh, my word. Really? Everyone? Lord, you don't know. You don't know some of these people. I have to deal with these idiots all the time. Not, I'm not, that's not me talking about you in any way. <laughs> I'm talking about them out there. Instead, be kind to everyone. Do you know some people make it really hard to be kind to them? It doesn't depend on them. It depends on you. I'll say this again. Write this down. Their sin doesn't make your sin not sin. Say it again. Their sin, I I stole this from somewhere, I can't even remember where, but I've said it for years. Their sin doesn't make your sin not sin. You can't excuse your sin because of what they did. Instead, you have to follow these precepts. He's saying to Timothy, look, don't be ashamed. Handle the word of God rightly. Stand for the truth, but don't do it in ugliness. Instead, don't quarrel. Be kind. Why? Because those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Oh, my lands, this is so hard. Gently? Gently instruct in the hope. Why? You're still praying that God would turn them. When you get mad, it's going to harden them. Instead, if you gently instruct and in love... They'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Friends, here's the idea. There is a truth we need to hold on to. Remember it. We need to protect it, and then we need to live it out. You're living out the truth in gentleness, love, not arguing, not fighting, not being mean, not being adamant, but instead gently instructing will turn it's got a better chance of turning the heart of the person and freeing them from the enemy's trap isn't that our goal what is your definition of winning what is your definition of winning if your definition of winning is not standing for the truth and in gentleness and love seeing people's hearts turn toward God then every other definition is not winning. It's losing. And we want to be people who love the world into the kingdom of God by standing for the truth in a way that's winsome, loving, freeing, and life-giving. When we come to the table of the Lord, we're remembering his death, Until he comes back. His death. Is there anyone. Who could have. It was more qualified to stand up. And say. In the face of this. Incredible opposition. I'm taking you down. 
But Jesus instead, he went willingly to a cross to die for us. When we remember this truth, this gospel, this good news, it gives us a chance to live it out. Coming to this table is more than just some religious thing we go through. It's a remembrance. It's a receiving. It's a, it's a testimony. It, it, it's a re-giving of our lives to him to be lived out in the glory of the Lord. Lord, I pray this morning that as we come to this table, that God, you would direct our steps, you direct our lives, that God, you would help us remember the good news, the truth, that you came to save sinners of which I am supreme. And in that, we have life, we have the hope for godliness, we have the, the hope for the world. God, I pray in coming to this moment, that God, those of us who are somewhere on that list of 19 things we saw ourselves, that God, we would re-engage with you. Put that behind us and instead walk out the truth in a way that can say to the world, we are followers of Jesus. And that we live out the truth every moment of every day. Thank you, Lord. Meet us here. Holy Spirit, meet us here. May those who need healing be healed. May those who need freedom receive freedom. May those who need wisdom receive wisdom. But most of all, may we all just receive more of you in this moment. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this teaching blessed you. If you ever find yourself in the Birmingham, Alabama area, come check us out. For more information, please visit fullness.life.